0: Welcome to this video, uh, I'm joined today by Nicola Chan from Waishi Coaching and in this video we decided just to, you know, have a chat about what we're both doing, what we're trying to achieve with the work that we're doing and it'll give you guys much better understanding and an opportunity to get to know myself and Nicola as well. So, welcome, thank you very much for agreeing to even do this video with me.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, I, suppose I suppose we can just, can just kind of like jump, jump into it in terms of, you know, trying, trying to understand what it is that you do. So, the first question, question is, what is it that you do?
1: So I'm a body confidence coach. So what that means is I help people with the the confidence in their bodies using fitness and mindset. So yeah. I've been in the fitness industry for 16 years, and many people just see that as it's just about the physical body. Mm. And over time, I realised as I was counselling my clients without any training that it was more about the mind and people were not achieving their goals because of things that were going on in their life and it has a knock-on effect on everything Um, with my own experience in the fitness industry I felt like that fueled my negative body image issues with food and so much pressure to conform to what the fitness industry is doing and keep up with the next trend um, that my own journey sort of happened at the same time and so mm-hmm. as I changed and grew and became body confident, I took my clients along the way as well. So it's a bit of a long journey. So that's the short side of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was good.
0: I, I know, obviously, you and I have met recently, um, and I know as much as I know about you, um, but it's great to get to know you more. In terms of your journey and how it got you in there, um, what is it that you went through that kind of made you go, right, I need to do this?
1: To change to body confidence, do you mean? Yeah. Yeah, so being in the fitness industry, as I said, I was following all of the latest trends, and one of them was bodybuilding. So it was attractive to do bodybuilding. I thought that will attract more clients to me. I will be that leader, the role model. I had some issues with food, didn't really realise I had an eating disorder, and I thought I'll be in a good place to do this. It will probably Mm. give me the body that I want to achieve and... That would be the destination, you know, the perfect body, then I'll be happy. So that's the journey that I went down. And because through all of that, I got to this place where I felt like I couldn't do any more. What else was there to do other than to go into another show? Because my eating was so terrible. I hated myself. Um, It's a bit of a journey, actually. I don't know how much to really say because I, I ended up doing four shows. I only meant to go into one. And I won the first show. So my idea of I'll be perfect, I'll arrive mm. at my destination, I'll be happy. I was happy on the day. And then immediately the day after, I was, what can I do more? There's another show. I also won a bikini. And I thought, it's the universe. <laughs> I have won this bikini. It cost like £300. Therefore, I must do another show and wear that bikini. And it just kind of happened like that one show into another, into another, into another. And I remained lean for so long. Mm. And if anyone's ever remained lean for a very long time under a strict diet you can't think straight you haven't got enough fuel in your body and in your brain to be able to decide for yourself what's really good for you and what isn't and I got to the end and just ended up binge eating for weeks and weeks and literally hated myself and I thought what can I do to get out of this I was in all the bodybuilding forums Facebook groups what was other people doing because everyone was experiencing the same issues binge eating after shows
0: Oh, so so when you say get get out of it, you mean get out of like the the habit of being... Yeah,
1: how can I stop? I really felt like a complete failure. There's me with this body and everyone's looking at me for advice and inspiration and I'm binge eating. So I had so much shame and guilt over that and didn't really know how to get myself out of it. And the only solution seemed to be go back into another show. And then this looked very familiar to me. So you've got on-season and off-season and I'd previously had binge purge but in a shorter cycle. So mm. it looked very much like an eating disorder. And so at that point I then put myself into this programme that I was going to go on to <laughs> the BBC Ultimate Hell Week. Oh, okay. Mainly because what well, it's kind of popped up in my emails and I thought, I won't get through, so I'll just, you know, I'll I'll apply and I won't get through. Then they rang me and said, you're a perfect candidate. I thought, okay, I'll do the interview, but I won't get through. Then they invited me in and just this kept going on and on and on until I, I got down to the last 44 people in the UK. So 22 women, 22 men right. and almost got on the show and then I didn't get in. But the reason I wanted to go on the show is because I didn't like myself. I thought this would be a way out of other than a bodybuilding show. They will starve you on the show. So I'll probably come back thin. Hmm. I will get tested and push through all the things that I'm scared of. So I will come out stronger like mentally and physically. Um, The fact that I didn't get on is probably a good thing because I wasn't in the right headspace. I shouldn't have gone on to such a show to punish myself. Um, And then I was left thinking, what can I do now? I literally spend 95% of my brain hating myself. And then I just decided one night, what if I spend 95% of my brain trying to like myself? And that was it, I just started the Google search How about body positivity, body confidence, and just a whole new world was opened up to me.
0: Nice. That's super interesting. And uh, it's kind of like, it really, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Um, What is it that got you to that switch? Like that change of thought to like, okay, I can recognize (laughs) I'm hating myself and I want to not hate myself. And then that start because That is something that a lot of people struggle with. That's something that like, you know, to to have that awareness is one thing, but then to kind of go, right, enough's enough. You know, what brought you to that place?
1: Mm, I think it's probably like people with addictions that what they describe as rock bottom. Right. There is no lower. I am hopeless. There's no way out. What can I do? So at times I felt suicidal. You know when you're so low and you think there is no exit and i need to escape all these emotions and i just i have no control what can i do and that's when i realized i'm spending so much brain power and i was always into personal development so i know there's there are other options you just maybe can't see them right now and i just knew that i have the power to change my mind
0: yeah it's massive that um that awareness of self is massive but then that decision which is what changes and we all work like that, we, you know, in terms of like, like you said, when when you just said, when you're at the lowest low, slow, like, so relatable, um, and you do, you get to the place where like enough is enough. Um, in terms of, did you know that you wanted to essentially do what you're doing now? Or is it something that's evolved as you kind of went, right, I'm just going to go towards this path?
1: Yeah, I had no idea. I literally needed a way out and I started researching body positivity. I found a whole community of people, podcasts, books. And I, as I said, I spent 95% of my brain. So all of that time was spent researching, even just walking to school to take my daughter to school. I was listening to podcasts. I was like taking in all this information. One person led me to another person, led me to another person. Even at that time, I was doing the radio and my radio show was all about fitness. And I used to have guests on who were bodybuilders, (laughs) who did amazing things with their physical body. And then as I started to change and I noticed other guests on other podcasts, I started inviting them people onto my show and my show changed as I changed. So It was quite public. (laughs) So it was really interesting to watch from the outside how I was transitioning into this role that I didn't even know I was going to become. And it was only really in lockdown that I created my first course. It was basically just having the time to be able to put everything together. But I had already started changing the way that I spoke to my clients. And there was actually a time in the gym because even on my own journey, like forget about the clients for a minute, I'm in the gym training and every movement that I do is to change my physical body. And now I still want to go to the gym. I love all the benefits of the gym. I love how I feel, but what am I doing? And there was a moment in the gym where I just burst into tears because I'm doing the row and I'm like, what am I doing this for? If I'm not trying to build my back anymore, what is the purpose? And so again, I was a little bit lost in the gym because if you don't have purpose, you've got no motivation, you've got nothing and I felt a bit depressed. This is this place that I love, that I've had blood, sweat, and tears here, achieved so much, and now it's meaningless. Yeah, so. That's huge. It was a huge huge transition, and I've uh, listened to other people on podcasts and spoken to people who've had the same thing and they've left the fitness industry altogether, if they were in the industry, or if they were just a gym-goer, they left completely.
0: That's the awareness going more towards the roots of the reason why we do what we do. And that's huge. That's essentially um, the work I do is I, I would guide people to kind of like get to that root of the reason. You know, we essentially will have a behavior and we'll think it's all right. Well, it's, it's about that, you know, but it's, it's what does that represent to me? You know, because if I am that person I achieve so much and everything you know then i will be enough then i'll be good enough then i'll be accepted you know
1: well i lost my identity yeah i was the fit girl the one who was at the front of the class jumping the highest you know running the fastest doing all of the things and then i was like who am i going to be now i literally didn't know who i was so I, i had a proper transition i feel like that was my awakening realizing that I didn't have to go one way that society and the fitness industry told me was the way that there could be another way and in that moment where I was going to leave I was leaving and saying to myself there's no one in the fitness industry doing this and then I was like there's no one in the fitness industry doing this (laughs) therefore I should stay and be the only one
0: that's really really good that's that's awesome as well and
1: although there is people doing it now and obviously I've met them and whatever but at that time i didn't know anyone
0: i think yeah it makes sense as well like obviously in terms of the universe guiding you as well it showed you let's say the deeper sides of it or i don't like to use the word the dark sides of it but like the kind of the painful sides of it and the people that are able to make essentially the best outcome in what they do are the people who have been to the shadow side of it, to the dark sides of it, you know? Uh, so that makes a lot of sense that, you know, it was essentially part of your path and and the work you do. One of the things I really, really love about watching you, your videos on social media is that, obviously all of that has led you to the realization that it's, it's more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing. And that m- kind of like mental health side of it invites uh our subconscious or unconscious behaviors towards our emotions and how we feel mm-hmm. so how did you and that's one of the things I love about your videos and I you know because I'm I'm a huge huge fan of you know talking about emotions and what they are and you know this is how we work and we've all learned to not feel and suppress because of our upbringing and because of society and things like that tell me a little bit about that journey in terms of like how that came to your awareness like oh my god I I've been doing it like this, and oh, no, no, like, I should go down this way.
1: Well, to continue that story where, where I didn't know what to do with myself in the gym, I then found a teacher who was doing parkour, and I thought I'd like to do something with my body. I always did martial arts, and I'd always been someone who moves their body. Mm. Although once I got into bodybuilding, it just became to change my aesthetics. So I thought I'll go back into doing something that's skill-based, I met the parkour teacher who is actually an Olympic lifter, like champion, had a whole group of Olympic lifters. I did one session of parkour and then I thought I'll try Olympic lifting. And when I got into that, that then gave me purpose again. It was skill based. I had fear, like fear in lifting a bar, like a certain weight. And then I was just saying about emotions you feel everything when you're doing Olympic lifting right. and because it's completely different to my previous training where I'm trying to burn calories all the time. I'm constantly moving my body. I had to train myself to to be patient, to rest in between sets, to rest in between workouts. Mm. So I was teaching my body and my mind that it's okay to, to eat more because I need to build my muscles to rest more because they need to rest and recover and grow. Um, and just, yeah, overcoming all of the mental stuff as well, the mental side of it, not comparing myself to someone else, trying to achieve my personal best, not against someone else. Yeah.
0: Well, from the videos you put on, and I'm guessing that led you to a place to being okay with feeling whatever emotions there. You know, Whereas like we first, from our childhood as well, that we learned that and we're taught not to feel certain emotions mm. and how we feel is wrong, so we're unconsciously like oh okay I just won't feel but when you get to that stage and when you're like okay no like when when did you kind of realize oh I'm gonna sit with this and just give it a go you know I'm gonna stop pushing it away and just give it a go well how did that
1: well that was more when I started public speaking so although I was doing the radio I was still hidden behind the walls and I didn't have to be on camera if I didn't want to be um so when I was in front of people, a group of people, you know the two top fears in life are um, the fear of death and then the fear of public speaking. (laughs) So even (laughs) when you know that, it adds more pressure. I'm supposed to be scared of it and then you feel more scared of it. And when I did my first talk, I was so scared, I developed a rash over my body for a whole week. I couldn't sleep, I was so anxious. But what was the fear, if I asked myself, it was the fear of being emotional. I had so much fear of crying in front of people because I was there to tell my story. I wanted to talk to them about eating disorders. I was still in recovery, but I was past the very dark of it. But where I was at was still uncomfortable to talk about. It's so easy to say to someone, I had this yesterday, but to say I'm suffering with this now is so hard. You're vulnerable. It's like you're naked there and everyone's there to watch and laugh at you or judge you. So, and I had, I realised when I questioned myself on that fear, what what was that all about? And I thought crying made me weak. And then it goes back to childhood. When I was a child, if I fell over, all these things happened to me and I didn't cry. My family's just so brave and I was the brave one because I didn't cry. So I just stopped crying and for years, just not a tear left my eye. And Mm. I just really thought that was how you should be. And I think with my... Chinese side of the family and I don't know if it's all Chinese culture but it was my Chinese dad who didn't show any emotions at funerals or anything I just thought that's the way that you should be yeah Yeah.
0: and it's you're spot on and you're touching on the exact point there in terms of we we live in a society we live in the emotional dark ages that means the people around us don't know how to don't know how to emotionally be there for us there's no blame being placed on anyone and that's, it does lead to that, you know, um, very similar to me, mine's um Middle Eastern background. So I was born in Iran. And uh, my when I was younger, my family were very, very strict. Uh, so the stricter your caregivers are, the more, well, the less emotional availability that they will have for you. Um, and I learned the same thing, you know, we do in society that crying is a weakness. But crying itself is actually a biological thing. It's not a social thing. So just the same it's a way of releasing just the same way as like if you eat food, that's bad for you. And your systems within you, your internal systems can tell it's bad for you or may think that it's like a virus. What you'll do is you'll throw up. This is why when you drink too much alcohol, you throw up because it's actually poisoning you too much. So you throw up. It's a way of releasing. It's exactly what crying is. Mm -hmm. Crying is suppressed emotions that need to be released. But when you get taught that I will be accepted more and I will be praised more, and that's safety, acceptance and safety is like, uh, acceptance and praise is safety. So if my caregivers are accepting me or praising me by me, suppressing my emotions then i know that that's what i need to do in order to stay safe mm. because whenever i cry they actually disconnect from me they tell me that i'm being too much i'm too sensitive there's disappointment there's you know sometimes i cry and i get told off for crying i get scolded for crying which makes me cry even more and it's like this like a vicious circle but yeah that's basically what my work is
1: did you have that experience as well then did you suppress your emotions and learn later on that it was good to have them?
0: Yeah, no, I, I just like I absolutely suppressed my emotions. Um, I regularly get, got told I was too sensitive. I um, was uh, like in terms of I learned that there are certain emotions that are acceptable at certain times but even the acceptable ones not always as well so like if i was too excited or too joyful or too happy i'd still get like ah you calm down like okay so it's like the sweet spot in the middle here and i that's where i have to live i can't be angry i can't like you know be annoyed or upset i can't be really really too excited or happy or make a lot of noise so like you learn to like live here and then Essentially, when you learn that we are emotional beings that think, we're not actually thinking beings that feel emotions. So emotions are first. Emotions are who we are in that moment. So if I'm angry and then I learn that that aspect of me, that part of me isn't acceptable by the people around me, then what I do is I reject that part of me. When, when you're younger as well in your childhood, your caregivers or your family, which is essentially your social circle, they you rely on them for survival. So, if the people that I rely on for survival and I have to have connection for that survival are telling me that this aspect of me is not acceptable, in order for me to maintain that connection, in order for me to keep my kind of survival chances, or you know, like. To make sure that I'm surviving, I I now have to reject this part of me, the angry part of me, and I do that by suppressing it. I do that by putting it somewhere where I don't have conscious awareness of it, which is my subconscious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So now that part of me, which I'm rejecting and pushing away, and this is where self-hate actually comes from, that's a part of myself that I hate, because I've learned to hate that part of myself, because that part of myself made me unsafe. That part of myself made it the disconnect between me and my um, social circle. So now, I hate that part of myself, and that's just one instance. You know, when you go through your entire life and you learn these things and say, oh, it's not safe to be this, oh, it's not safe to be this, oh, I can't do that, I can't do this, and then you have like hundreds, if not thousands of aspects of yourself that you're continuously rejecting. And that's where like the overwhelmingness comes in because they're all trying to get your attention all trying to get your attention uh, to listen to them to be felt to kind of release and reintegrate but what we do is we drown that out by however we can it can be and this is where essentially addiction comes in addiction comes in because we try to drown that out through addictive behaviors
1: and Uh, people pleasing
0: people pleasing is is
1: because if you're left with that aspect like if all aspects of you are pushed away because you're rejecting them Then what's left and how do you be accepted you're going to have to people please aren't you to to change yourself to whoever is around you that you need to look after you
0: exactly in in those moments where you reject an aspect what actually happens is you, you you have a split in your consciousness so if you think of consciousness as like a river and part of that river you experience a split and then it's like that split it's just like just like a split in the river it's two aspects of yourself One aspect is the one that's angry that you want to reject. So you put that one in your subconscious. The other aspect has, uh, these aspects have different needs, wants and desires. The other aspect has learnt to be a certain way to please people. So what you do is you take that aspect on and that becomes a part of your personality. That's where people pleasing comes as well because you learn that I have to please my caregiver or my social circle in order for me to stay safe. And this is just an unconscious pattern. And until you know what's going on, you don't know that this is what's happening. So if that happens many, many times, you're always taking on aspects of yourself that have learned that no, 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 my safety comes from outside of me. My safety comes from making sure that this person is happy, this person is happy, this person is happy. So that's how I stay safe. And that's essentially where the people pleaser comes in as well.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like that relates to me in the gym as well, needing to people-please everyone else just to get their validation. Because although it may not be about being safe anymore and they're not going to look after me, it keeps me in the pack. Yeah. So I'm accepted by them all and it keeps me having a job and all these other things that I'm, I can remain as I am if I'm liked by these people. And also, once I've worked so hard and set that bar, mm. I now have to constantly work as hard as I was or I'm going to lose them.
0: Exactly. And that's, that's a huge awareness. It's actually, to go a little bit further into it, it's actually the logical side, like for our conscious minds, especially as, as adults, we'll look at it logically. But the logical side is kind of like irrelevant in terms of like, what you're saying makes sense. And it's true, I'm not trying to say it's not. But it's not about pleasing them to um, kind of like, have that job or that income or whatever. It's just it's to be accepted. Because it's from the unconscious programming from our childhood. And in our childhood, we didn't need to like earn money. Well, I hope <laughs> not. <laughs> but we didn't need to like earn that money and everything. And it's just just an acceptance. Um, but then, until we know that, our logical side of it, well, why am I doing this? Oh, it's probably because I need money. And it's because I need this and everything.
1: But you also don't know you have low self-esteem until you need all that validation.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's. I mean. It's all about exploring, anyway, yeah. you know. In, in terms, terms of there are standard, standard things that, because of our society, society kind I mean, of like the societal, societal way of being, that will always you know, have put, put everyone in, in the same kind of basket in certain things. But well, there's, there's also, also like the individual, like, well, why am I like this and, and everything? But, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's huge, it's, it's massive. massive. That's it's essentially. It's, it's just about learning how we work as humans.
1: So when did you get to the point where you were then accepting your own emotions and then into doing the work that you do? Oh, that's
0: such a good question. Um, I think about nearly nearly two years ago, a year and a half ago, um, I split with my ex-partner and that essentially like triggered all of my call wounds, all at once, everything. I like literally lost control and I was like, what is going on? And um, from there, essentially, like long story short, from there, it took me more towards kind of like looking within to be like, what is going on? Like, because her and I, I was like, I was convinced that, oh, we're gonna spend the rest of our lives together. Like, you know, all oh, this is great, she's great. And, and, and I then I, I visibly, visibly saw, saw her like change and I, I was just like, like what? what's going and on? Like, I was, I was so convinced, like, what, what is this? Thing? Like, why have you, we, we were like that. And now we're, now not, we're, we're not, not, you know, for whatever, whatever reason, I'm, I'm not blaming you. anyone, but I'm, I'm just, just talking about my observation, observation of it. And then that forced me to go like, like, all right, well, this is actually, it's repeating. It's repeating patterns from like previous relationships and, you know, you know, but, but this one, I was like convinced, convinced that I wouldn't repeat this, this one. I was like, no, 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 like no, no, this, this is it. Is and, it but it did. And I was, I was like, whoa. So, so that forced me to, to look at myself. And, and then when I, I looked, looked at, myself, I at myself, I started learning all of this stuff. stuff and then then well, I start...
1: Do you think if you don't mind me interrupting and if you don't mind me asking, oh. did something change in her or was she always the way she was, but you were maybe seeing her through different glasses? And then you saw in it with a new perspective.
0: No, no. Um,
1: I'm just curious because whenever people talk about relationships, which is like a whole other topic we could talk for hours on, and I find it really fascinating, especially for my own journey as well, people often talk about other people. And then I think if we're learning our own journey all the time and it's reflected with everyone that you're with, doesn't matter about them. It's always about you. It, it, it is.
0: is you're, that's, that's not all. incorrect. Um, it, what, what actually happens, happens so... Um, in specific specific relationships relationships, like mainly you have like three attachment styles and these these are kind of like high levels so i'm not like getting really really deep into it you've got got the secure so it's like like a secure attachment attachment, and then you've got the anxious attachment and the avoidant attachment attachment. now Now, the anxious anxious and avoidant again there are much more there's like like fearful avoidant anxious avoidant and all that but i'm just giving the top levels um the avoidant has learned through their lives that love isn't safe. And, and that's because of their childhood and because of what they've gone through. Uh, the anxious, which, which was me, learned essentially to completely and fully abandon myself to get love and I would have to like, like I'm, I'm like kind of starved of that. Um, now, now this doesn't mean that my you know parents didn't love me or anything, this is, again, we live in the emotional dark ages and all of this that's created isn't necessarily what happened to you, it's what didn't happen for you, which is what creates all of these. So what the trauma response of the anxious does in kind of like the triggers going off is it pulls, I I like essentially try to show more love. I'm like, no, 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 of course I love this. But that triggers the avoidant attachment to, to be like, like pull, pull away because mm-hmm. love is scary for them and with covid obviously it affected a lot of people's mental health and everything
1: well that even just that distance there you move in they move back could be enough for you to go oh they've changed because well, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah so and but that's, that's not, not how, how our relationship, relationship started. started you, you know, know uh the, the relationship is there's like in terms, terms of you know, know this isn't just me and my ex this is, is
0: the, how it happens with, with the anxious and the avoidant, which is most, most of the relationships, relationships out there. Today. I've been in that
1: dance also. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: what happens is because we, we, we grow, grow up, up, we're, 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 codependent codependent up, up we're, we're codependent as children, and which is normal. It's very, very normal. You're meant, meant to be codependent as a child. child but when, when we grow up, we're meant to, be, meant to be, again, if we, we were brought up, up in the uh, emotionally healthy way, we would get taught and you know like we would then start to depend depend on ourselves emotionally and everything now human beings have needs this is how we work so you need having needing a need to be met is extremely normal of you being a human being we all have needs now the codependent didn't learn to meet those needs themselves so i still well i used to still have like that need met externally from me and this is where external validation comes in mm-hmm. as well so if i'm continuously getting that need met externally so at the beginning of the relationship you get two people that literally like fit each other's needs with what's going on so then you start me in, and usually it's called um like from one side mainly as well and this is actually kind of like a red flag when you're idealized by someone and you're like, oh my god you're amazing you're, you're like this you're everything that you do is amazing that's actually a uh, part of something that's called love bombing which then is because again this is all because of the experiences they've had so the beginning of the relationship and the good parts of the relationship are very very different but then when everything settles down and then everything's not like new you and your, your brain actually is different in, in those, those stages and you you actually feel different as well and obviously when i was in this relationship as well i i wasn't a conscious person i wasn't in a conscious relationship we were both reactive to our emotions i didn't know what emotions were at all mm-hmm. so then it started to get harder and harder and like triggers fired more and more and more and then eventually it got to the place where i was like oh you know sit off. and that's when it essentially ended but that's what led me to kind of looking at myself and that's the journey for everyone to get out of the reactive mode and to kind of be more of a conscious being you always, it always starts with looking at yourself, it always starts going like well why am I like this what's going on here and that's when the blame stops going out like well you did this to me and you did that And And when you learn learn, like like, oh no emotions are are a feedback feedback system system." it's It's like a feedback to what i've got within myself and then then you go oh it's it's about me that's essentially what led me to this journey journey.
1: and it's like that finger isn't it you've got one finger pointing at them and four back
0: (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. it really really is is. and it's 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 been the best thing that's ever happened to me and it's um I'm 37, 37 years old, I have to think about that, 37 years old, and um, I've spent most of my life trying to figure out the answer, yeah. <laughs> and this, this is last year, I figured it out, I was so like, that's, why, I, that's, that's essentially why, why I do why what you. I do, because I'm, I'm like, like this, is this is too valuable not to tell, not to tell everyone about, this, this is, how is how you heal, I'm done coping, coping isn't healing, Mm-hmm. And that's essentially well that was that that was that part of the story but it's 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 so useful to understand how you work mm. and when it leads you to becoming more conscious, which just makes life a thousand times easier
1: yeah, I have a similar experience,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. In what way in the relationship? Well, it's just the
1: way that you just said that was um, the best thing that ever happened to you. Because mm. my last relationship was the best thing that ever happened to me too. <laughs> not only did it lead me here, but I learned so much yeah. from beginning to end. So not even it was a conscious relationship in many ways and unconscious in many ways. But I was learning. Like, so the attachment style, all of those things, I I knew that there was things and I was trying to fix them as I went along. Mm. And so I was learning so much. But then it ending just like you said with emotions and and being on your own, learning so much about yourself. Just the journey that put me on has been amazing. Mm. Really, Sometimes the worse you feel, <laughs> the better the outcome, isn't it?
0: There's there is so much lessons, lessons in pain,
1: or the breakdown to the breakthrough. Yeah,
0: yeah. They're They're absolutely. absolutely. The, 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 I always say as one like. like uh, all of, these, all of these things fall into the definition of trauma. And when you use that word, like a lot of people are like, oh my God, it's tiptoe around trauma, but trauma is actually ridiculously normal for a human being. It's literally how we keep ourselves safe. But all of the things that fall in the, defini- uh, the definition of trauma are things like getting scolded when you're a child, being like, like you can be scared, scared to a degree where it's traumatizing, traumatizing for you remember i said when that split occurs in the consciousness, consciousness. That, that is when your survival mind kicks in and that's when it falls in that definition in and that scenario it's where whenever, whenever you are distressed, distressed without resolution, resolution. Because your, your mind, mind can only uh, um your mind, your mind works, works on complete, complete life experiences, life experiences. so anything so that's an incomplete life experience Needs needs to to be completed So if you have distress distress without resolution resolution, Then it's not a complete life experience Now Now, what what do we do in in that moment Is we put an aspect of ourselves In the subconscious But Your mind and body will always try and get you To heal these And so it tries to get you to look at it And this is what essentially your feelings are Your feelings is is A system in your vehicle So if you cut your shoulder there and like you feel, feel tingly, tingly sensations, sensations. you, you might, might feel cold, cold. you might, might even feel like pain. The whole reason you feel anything is to get your attention to look at it. So you're literally the feel, is so you can do whatever needs to be done. Might need to be healed. So just get your attention to look at it to heal it. And your emotions are a guidance system to whether you're in or out of alignment of your natural state. So if you f- feel If you feel an emotion like um, shame, anger, fear, guilt, apathy, these are all pointing you to aspects that you put in your subconscious that carry that emotion. And if you feel that emotion, it's showing you how you are out of alignment of your natural state. And just like the same way as looking at that, it's like this needs your attention. It needs healing. That's literally what a trigger is so
1: many of us are so far from feeling our emotions like you mentioned addictions earlier and me with exercise addiction which is what it was essentially Mm. and having an eating disorder that is a form of escape as well because now that becomes my problem and i think that is everything Mm. whereas if i could remove all that and see the layers underneath what's really going on you know that's all the emotions are under there yeah exactly
0: that and we like you said if we learn not to feel these emotions
1: and we can get really like, good at it
0: it's like being cut all over your body yeah. and not being able to see it
1: like and how it relates to what i do people get so used to sitting on their hands when they're hungry so they don't go to the fridge they're overriding their body's hunger signals they can no longer feel hunger or fullness because you're eating on a plan at a time that the clock says it's time to eat and the quantity that the plan says eat that that you completely detach from your body dissociate and this may also go back to trauma as a mm. child. You've dissociated. You're so good at being outside of your body that it's a process of coming back, isn't it? Even just to fill your hunger and fullness.
0: 100%. It's um, it's about learning how to meet the needs in a different way. Um, and that, that, again, that, that what you said in, in addiction as well. Addiction is essentially, um, any form of addiction is about changing the mental state you have in that moment. So... I used to be addicted to alcohol. I used to be addicted to weed as well. And they were both to change my mental state. Uh, I think the best description, which I've heard, and I'll say it again, is addiction is like, if you think like um, a, a hole of pain, let's say, and you're in that hole of pain. Addiction, whatever whatever your addiction is, whether it's weed, alcohol, shopping, sex, like social media, Uh, eating, like whatever it is takes you out of that hole of pain just for the moment that you're doing whatever it is and then after it puts you back in the way we tackle addiction mostly, well I mean like it's getting better but what I've realised that in terms of especially in the mainstream therapy and as everything we look at the thing that we're addicted to And that's like, you know, if I was just like forcing myself not to drink alcohol or forcing myself not to have weed, that's like cutting the branch of the growing plant, but the root's still there. Mm -hmm. So then it comes out as something else. And that's why I went from alcohol to weed. Yeah. But then these these are there because of unmet needs that we've never learned to meet ourselves. And because these split in the consciousness and these aspects of ourselves that we've rejected these are the unmet needs so by learning how to how to read the communication of our emotions which will then take us to that aspect to understand and become intimate with that aspect and intimacy is just being like to be able to see into and then when once you learn how to do this and once you learn the communication everything then you start being able to meet the needs of these aspects and once you start meeting the needs of these aspects, then that's, that's the need being met. That's tackling it at the root cause of what is causing that addictive behavior in the first place. And that's essentially how I stopped doing all the addictive behaviors I had, whether it was like um, weed or whether I was on social media loads or whether I was like, you know, going out whatever it was and
1: at all do you still have to check yourself like the experience that i had this morning where i was motivated to go to the gym i'd had a nice rest yesterday i'd got my stuff ready the night before so i'm raring to go i've got loads of energy i had a good sleep i get there and the gym is closed and so i've got all of this energy in my body and i don't know what to do with it and i'm not having an argument in my head but there were definitely different conversations going on where an old me would really struggle with that and feel like I have to compensate for it the next day, do loads more exercise or all the fear pops in. Am I going to lose my muscles? And, you know, is my body going to change? Am I going to lose my technique or whatever? All of those things come in and I I am checking myself because I'm like, that's not me anymore. It's still a habit to think that way. But and I might still have the feelings like a bit of discomfort, but I'm going to sit with it and it's going to pass.
0: That's a good question, but this is the thing. So based on using your feelings and emotions as a communication, now you you do have, there are elements of, okay, I've got habitual ways of thinking. A thought is a neural pathway. Once I think that thought, again, it becomes stronger. So Mm -hmm. that there is that as well. But that's not necessarily kind of like what this is in terms of if we're using your feelings and emotions as a, a guidance system, as communication. So at any moment, in any scenario, ever, if you feel a certain thing, there's a communication there. There's something is trying to get your attention to look at something. Now, you can logically be like, no, 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 this is me now, that used to be me. But that doesn't necessarily bring those aspects back in. Those aspects are still there. And this is essentially what shadow work is. Shadow work is to go into the shadow so Think of the subconscious as a shadow because these aspects that we're unaware of, if you were in a dark room and there was something in there, you'd be unaware of it. That's why it's called shadow work. Mm -hmm. To bring something into your conscious awareness, the conscious is always referred to as the light. So it's about bringing something from the shadow into the light. And the way that you go into the shadow and look at it to know what you need to look at is the communication from how you feel emotionally. So those emotions are pointing you to that aspect of yourself. And that aspect has certain needs. That aspect still like, you know, that it might be the aspect that you've got there or the aspect that you've taken on. There's confliction between these two aspects. Part work is huge for this. Part work, you would literally get these aspects to talk to each other through you because you're, you're not one being. I know you've always been called by one name, but you're not one being, you're an entire ecosystem. You are all of these aspects. So you can actually become one entire aspect and then become another one. All humans have multiple personalities. We only call it multiple personality disorder when it's like really, really out of control. But by becoming these aspects, then you uh, you can get to a place where these aspects will agree with something. So for example of this would be someone who is a workaholic let's say and an aspect has learned that i have to um and this happens mostly in like the middle eastern culture absolutely as well i'm pretty sure it happens in the asian culture as well um where you learn like you know i have to do this because it's expected from my parents this is how i get praised. this is like this is your values it's it literally that's where i get my value from but there's an aspect of you like, I don't want to work this much. Like, this is crazy. Like, I don't want. I just want to relax. I want to rest, you know. But then this aspect is like, no, no, this is how we stay safe. Like, I've learned that this is how we stay safe. So that confliction is going on. So if you were to do art work, you could get those two aspects to talk to each other. And then it's about understanding this one without judgment and then understanding this one without judgment. Because even this is where logic doesn't come into it either. Like it doesn't matter what you logically know you should or shouldn't do, when you don't become intimate and listen to the communication of any aspect of yourself, you're actually invalidating that aspect Mm -hmm. because it's how they feel. So it's about okay, understand why do you want to work so much? Oh, it's because I learned that this is how I get my value, and if I don't do this, and then the other aspect, you like, and you can become the other aspect. Sometimes, Sometimes what I do is I, I'll, get, I'll ask someone to like hold something in one hand to be one aspect and then another hand to Yeah. it's another I say, aspect.
1: imagine yourself in that hand and what are you wearing and how do you sound? Yeah. And it's like a little cute you over there. <laughs> I'm very visual, so I see see myself standing in my hand.
0: <laughs> it really helps. Um, or the most powerful way is to have two seats across each other and literally sit on one seat, get up and sit on the other seat mm. to become the other aspect. And then you just get those aspects to agree. To something, okay. I understand what you're saying. Let's go towards this way. I've done this a lot. It's one of the most powerful ways. It's to one of my favorite work.
1: things, actually parts integration. Yeah.
0: I, I don't remember the one that, that was, was most memorable to me was I was on my way to my friend's house and something came up. And with me, I'm like, like hardcore with healing and shadow work. Like, I'll reintegrate whenever I can, whenever anything comes up. Um, I was driving to my friend's house. And I was like, "What well, am I going to do this? What like, am I going to do? I'm driving." And I was like, "I don't know. I hold the steering wheel with my right hand, and then I hold the steering wheel with my left hand when it's this one. And it's this one." What and came
1: up for you while you were driving?
0: I I think it was um, because obviously the anxious attachment learns to get acceptance and the calm, you know, safety and everything, value from someone else. So I did a lot that. Uh, right now that obviously I wouldn't do in terms of allowed my ex to treat me in certain ways after we broke up and you know I kind of like kept going back and trying to rekindle the relationship and everything and I was I kept putting myself in positions that were really really unkind um I was angry at myself for that so it was that and I remember when I was using my left hand like I'd be bawling crying driving it was there was a slight comedy value to it because like every time I stopped at lights, cars next to me were like, what is going on? I'd <laughs> there like, but I'm, as you know, and I'm sure everyone who's watching knows like, I'm extremely open about things like this. And then as soon as I did my right hand, it would stop. And that would be that other aspect. And, I, and he was angry. He was like, you know, you you took us there, and you did that, and you're still doing it, and you and I was. In this aspect I was I'm sorry like I, I don't you know I, this is how I learned to stay safe I just want love like I I just want to be loved <laughs> you know like, and things like that and then they came to, to an me. agreement of like okay I understand you wanted to be loved you know and the other aspect I was crying was like okay I'm I'm open to you know listen to you more and you know will you protect me will you help me and the other aspect I was like yeah of course you know, you know? And, like self-love is a huge thing and, when you get to the stage where you can love every aspect of yourself, like your entire reality changes, mm. your entire everything changes.
1: This is the work that I do also because self-love is you on the inside, not you on the outside. Yeah. And what I thought and what a lot of people think is that you need to achieve this look on the outside in right. order to love yourself. And obviously that is always going to change. Even if today you fit the beauty standards of the world, in 10 years they'll change. Yeah. So you might be accepted today and then not accepted. What are you going to do? Change yourself to meet those standards again and keep changing, people pleasing, yeah. literally with your body. Or are you going to love who you are on the inside because you're ever changing and growing, aging, getting injuries, having children, loads yeah. of things happen that change your appearance.
0: That is definitely definitely something that that I tackled with as well. I can definitely...
1: But it's an ongoing process because you might accept yourself today and then you've got to do more work when you change. My body literally is bigger in the winter and smaller in the summer and every, like, whenever it happens, every year I have this thing where I'm like, oh, it's that thing again. I've got to do the work again. And I do take some time to do the work, yeah. Because I get used to my body and it starts to become who my identity. Because I use my body so much, it is a topic of conversation. Like, when you teach in a gym, people comment on your body. So it's hard not to listen to it.
0: Yeah. I've actually heard, so I watched it, I follow this um, personal trainer. And I absolutely love him. I can't remember his name for the life of me. And he makes videos that are, like, so straight to the point And, like, they're funny as well, but he doesn't bullshit. And he like goes into like real research and like he shows the evidence and one of his videos was actually talking about how personal trainers are getting like so much pressure on them to have like perfect physiques otherwise they won't be seen as like taken seriously or anything like that and they lose money for it as well they lose clients Mm -hmm. and he was saying like how that is a serious, serious issue because yeah. it's ridiculous that the amount of pressure that they're under.
1: Well, that's what people said to me. If you become a body positive trainer, no one wants that. You're going to die a death in this industry, basically. And even some family members were saying, I just want the quick fix. Give me the pill, make me skinny and I'll be happy. <laughs> I don't want to know everything behind it. I don't want to know that. My body's going to bounce back and I'm going to put on weight. I just want the quick fix now.
0: I'm and then do, do follow, follow up with... with- "Why?" <laughs> See, this is where you come in no this is, no, where, this is where when
1: it's family you just go okay <laughs> you do you and I'll do me
0: <laughs> so true <But laughs> and I then I'll way... lead
1: the way and people will follow and those that don't can go the other way because there'll oh, always be people out there selling the pills and shakes and yeah. you know the quick fixes awesome. so come to me in five years <laughs>
0: it's um, honestly that's what where your superpower is. comes in it's where you know most people Because I I know you do kind of like go down that route of like more mental than just physical. And most personal trainers obviously will be like, yeah, my job is to make you look a certain way and everything. So I think that's where your work is like that much and it just not like, I'm not trying to compare, say it's better or anything, it's just different. And exploring the why is so much more important than achieving that look because I've been there as well myself, and like you, so once you achieve that look, it doesn't go away. Mm. It's like, well, and what? that's again, look, you know, cutting the branch when there's a root. And It's like, well, I need to figure out the why. Why do I need to look a certain way? Oh, it's because of what I've learned in the past, and my trauma, my shame around it. I got made fun of, you know. I, I mean, me personally, I got called like skinny. I was like, oh, small lad, you know, big, you know, attractive, you know, you know, and things like that. That's what made me, oh, I need to, I need to be massive. Mm. I need to be huge. I totally get
1: thing. that, and body image affects men so much, yeah. and it's not often talked about.
0: Yes, this is very, very true. Most, most of, of my clients and most of the people that follow me on social, social media are oh, females, women, and I mean, it's because, because um, you know, our upbringing it, it's more are allowed to be more emotional um, as a female in terms of like I mean don't get me wrong it's not like oh females is completely fine and it's not it happens in both senses but from my experience and what I've seen you know it's so much harder for men to be emotional and talk about their emotions and be okay with that and that's why yeah obviously falls down the river but it is harder for them to kind of admitting it as well is seen as a weakness this is the other thing as well weakness and vulnerability they're very different things but they're seen as the same thing
1: yeah that's my issue with talking and when i did a public speaking course with my nlp coaches they actually said to me your vulnerability is your strength Mm. and it was that day that I realised and I actually started looking at other speakers I was searching for the ones that were crying <laughs> <laughs> because I was like I love following all these people they're so amazing how can they talk about their trauma and not, a tear comes out and then I did actually find people and, and I felt that I related to them more they were more human to me you know we dehumanise people don't we they're a celebrity they're, they've made it they're successful they're up here and I'm mm. down here and when you see people cry they've become human Yeah. and I've had that experience myself where I've cried in speeches that people connect with me they cry too they resonate with something i'm saying and they feel it yeah. and then it's now available to them to know that that's something they had and that's also somewhere along my journey way back in the past where i actually sat there and listened to someone speak and she was talking about her childhood trauma sexual trauma and everything and i had completely suppressed my own life that listening to her speak made me realize i'd been through the same things yeah. and it was as if it hadn't happened because I couldn't even admit it to myself, so that was powerful, and that is one of the things why I wanted to to be a public speaker. I wanted to be that person who could touch that one person in the audience who could change their life.
0: Yeah, I completely resonate, um, and I do the exact same, same in terms, terms of um, with the videos that I put out. Absolutely. Honestly, if if it gets one view, each if each video gets one view and helps one, one person, that's, that's enough it for me, and literally that is true your vulnerability is your strength because your vulnerability shows people that they're essentially not broken they're not alone and you know also with what you're doing and if anyone is like seeing you at a higher level or something it it goes oh that person's just like me which means i can do that as well and i can go up and I can improve parts of my uh, life as well. So that's huge. I think that's amazing.
1: And also when you put yourself out there, like because the first time I did that, it wasn't even public speaking. The first time I experienced what I'm about to talk about, I was doing burlesque and it was a performance that was about my trauma. So I was playing it out with my body rather than speaking. And I had so much self-doubt came up for me. Like the inner critic, no one wants to see this people are going to laugh at you, what are they going to think, everyone's going to know what happened, shame, guilt, everything all came back, I was almost like PTSD, I was dreaming about things again as if it had happened just recently and it was just massive that I said to myself because these are all the reasons not to do it aren't they and then again I had that switch, these are all the reasons to do it because I'm putting myself out there so much that you, can, you could fail massively or you could have massive success. Yeah. And not a success in terms of I'm going to make it as a burlesque dance or anything, but my own healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to heal in front of you. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah,
0: powerful stuff.
1: Right, right. Mm, and again, someone might be watching and that resonates with them. Yeah. And the more I tell my story, whether it's through performing or talking, always people open up to me back. So it's like permission. I go first you come back that's
0: really good and yeah. actually
1: after my bbc interview i i wasn't prepared for it i didn't know when it was going to come out and i didn't oh they were they didn't tell me um and i had phone calls straight away saying i've just seen you on bbc this morning and that was the start of this door that opened and i had phone calls all week and i wasn't prepared for them people just opening up and telling me their trauma they'd never told anyone before and just needed someone to talk to because they'd heard me talk about mine
0: that's Massive, that's
1: powerful. Very powerful, that's awesome. Well, that's why, in a way, I feel like this is my path. Like, I'm meant to do that. Some people, like my sister, who experienced things as well, is a different character, and she's like, I'm not here to be telling people my stuff, and that's her right to do that. But I feel like it is mine, and she understands that it's mine. That we're so different, we've had similar upbringing, but it's my path to do that. Yeah, 100%.
0: You've got to. This will go, go down to the conversation spirituality, of spirituality, but I think we, think we don't have time for, time for that now. But, but yeah, 100%. Um,
1: I look forward to that bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely sure. I, I think this might be a good time to stop, actually. Yeah.
0: Um, but thank you so much for coming, and uh, it's been amazing hearing about everything that you do, and uh, let's definitely do it again.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye.